From the time Genevieve Mora turned 10, anxiety ruled her life. Rituals involving the number four, excessive hand washing and crippling fear of death dominated her thoughts. And by the time she turned 14, the anxiety increased and her food intake decreased. The voices inside her head made her feel guilty for eating, told her she was a failure. She would be in and out of hospitals battling anorexia for years, but with the support of a loving family, an effective psychologist and inspiration from other patients with chronic illnesses, Genevieve is now happier and healthier than she ever thought possible. She's the co-founder of Voices of Hope, working to change the stigma around mental health, and she's written a book called Bite Back, A Compassionate Guide to Navigating Eating Disorders. Genevieve Mora joins me now. Hi. Hello. Good morning. Nice to talk to you again. I've chatted with you a few times over the years um, and through Voices of Hope. And I feel like in those early days, I sort of knew more about Jazz's story than I did about yours. Um, It took you a while, perhaps, to be ready to tell your story. It did indeed. Um, I yeah struggled for a long time to, I guess, find the courage to share my story. And, and jazz was, a, um, I guess, a wonderful motivation or, or inspiration for me to do so. Um, I felt a lot of shame for what I went through. And so finding the courage to open up uh, took me a lot longer. Um, but I made the decision one day after, you know, thinking about the fact that if I was feeling shame and embarrassment, then other people probably would be too. And I felt like I needed to be that voice and I guess lead the way. Yeah. And, and when you did do it, you wanted to do it right. For example, you knew that there's a tendency for people with disordered eating to compare themselves to each other and you didn't want to be a comparison for someone if that was going to create a negative impact. Completely. I think for me, it was really important that I told my story in a really safe and, and careful way. I know how eating disorders work, having gone through my my own journey with one. Um, and I wanted to make sure, you know, that when I did tell my story, that it was going to be inspiring and hopeful um, and beneficial for people in their recovery journey, um, as opposed to, I guess, triggering um, and unhelpful. You share a quote from Malcolm X, which I've never come across before. It's very clever. Um, it says... When I becomes we, illness becomes wellness. Mm -hmm. And is that part of the reason that disordered eating is so hard to treat, that it it is a disease of, of secret and shame? I think it is, you know, in, in my own experience, there was so much, like I've talked about shame and, and eating disorders, um, you know, from, from my experience and those I work with, you know, they're really secretive, manipulative disorders. Um, and they're also really misunderstood and, and they they thrive on secrecy. So I think it does make it difficult. But I guess in regards to that quote, it was sort of um, helping people, I guess, understand the importance of having that support network around you and 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 the fact that, you know, having that 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 team or your family or friends or strangers or whoever it may be cheering you on really can make all the difference in recovery. We're learning so much about eating disorders, still learning new things. Um, We've had uh, interviews recently about the genetic component of eating disorders. Mm -hmm. I think for many years, most of us thought anorexia was about body image, about someone looking at beauty standards and feeling like they didn't measure up. And, And that is true. That's how it starts for some people. It can be a trigger, but not for you. Can you recall the moment for you when everything changed? 
Yeah, so there was no, um, like you said, it's, it's not the case for everyone. There was no sort of um, desire to change my appearance or, or I was never unhappy with the way I looked. I guess the way that I, I talk about my journey is, is like you discussed in the intro is I started with anxiety and, and it morphed into obsessive compulsive disorder. And then anorexia gave me uh, what I now know was a perceived sense of control um, when everything else felt like it was out of control. Um, so it really was a coping tool or mechanism, a very unhealthy one which again I now know um, for everything that was going on in my life you know the OCD the anxiety the the living in, in constant fear um, and I think it's really important to note there was nothing within my my family life or or nothing had actually happened within my life that justified these fears um, which I think also kind of shows how how powerful the mind is and, and how you know troubled I was um, fearing death at such a young age. Yeah, I think you saw a news story when you were quite young and it really affected I you. I did, yeah. And I remember that night quite clearly. I'm walking into the kitchen and, and catching a glimpse of a very sort of graphic news piece where a child had been hurt and, um, yeah, something within me sparked and I, I instantly had this fear come over me that I was going to be that child that was hurt. Um, and, again, there was no sort of reason or, or justification for that, but it was just this overwhelming fear that it could happen to me. And that was enough to, to kind of spark, um, you know, perhaps the underlying issues or anxiety that was already bubbling on the surface. Mm. You had very loving parents, very dedicated parents. They mm. took you to psychologists very young, although you say in your book that you learned how to play the system. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, I do. So I think um, I, I was around 11 when I uh, saw my first psychologist. And I think it's important to note, you know, being able to um, get into therapy, especially private therapy is an incredible privilege. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, at the age I was, I didn't really understand that. I don't actually think I really understood how serious what I was going through was. Um, and at my psychologist, when I was around 11, there was a treat system. So every night I managed to sleep alone. I was given a chocolate bar um, and I love chocolate. So I started, um, I guess, like you said, playing the system and saying that I was sleeping alone when I wasn't. And I think, you know, whether I knew it or not, um, at that moment, lying felt easier than actually facing the truth and, and having to go against, you know, my mind, which became a huge part of my recovery journey, learning that the only way to overcome fear is to, to face it head on and that the only way out is through. Um, but yeah, I was a little young girl seeing a psychologist um, and, and it didn't work the first time for me. Uh, but throughout my journey, um, my psychologist and, and team became incredibly crucial in, in helping me get to where I am today. What's going wrong there when a child lies to a therapist or to a dietitian? Uh, what's going wrong? Uh, you know, is it that you were that good at deception or are they not working hard enough to detect it? No, I think, you know, I do, I do think it was me at that point. I, like I said, when it came to my eating disorder, um, you know, they are such secretive manipulative illnesses. And so, um, you know, lying was the thing that I thought of doing before telling the truth. And what I've learned throughout my journey and what I share often is that, you know, people can only help you with the information you give them. So if I was telling my psychologist or my dietitian or whoever it was at that point in my journey that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, um, then, you know, of course they were going to believe me. Mm. Um, eating disorders are really complicated in that way but yeah I don't know I, I was young um, when I first saw my psychologist and, and I don't think I really like I said kind of grasped the significance of, of what I was dealing with um, and perhaps wasn't ready to to take that first step towards you know getting that help yeah 
and so you get a bit stuck, don't you, if you're not transparent yes. with your therapist. Um, yeah, when did totally. you When did your relationship with food change? Uh, it was around the age of 13 or 14. I, I vividly remember, um, I think it was year nine at high school, my teacher used to bake for us every now and then. And, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, I was I was keen to get involved. And as the year went on, sort of my desire to to eat the baking that came into class with my teacher, um, which everyone else was happily doing, um, you know, uh, decreased and, and I stopped doing that. So that's kind of when I first noticed it. But I think, you know, looking back, I was so consumed in it um, that it's hard to sort of pick point when it started because like I said it wasn't a decision to to you know restrict my food intake um it was just kind of a, a progression of, of events and and seemed to take over my life pretty pretty quickly did you immediately connect that feeling of safety with the feeling of control I think for me um you know OCD my engaging in compulsions and rituals gave me um, a, a release of my anxiety for a very short period of time. And then quickly it spiked again. And that's how I kind of, kind of got into the cycle of, mm. of repeating set of behaviors. I think when it came to eating um, again, it was a temporarily, a temporarily, ugh, a temporary, well, English, um, <laughs> release of, of anxiety or, or, or coping. Um, and again, like I said, I was just so in it that it's hard to even quite remember sort of what that feeling was, yeah. but I just became terrified of something that's so basic and crucial for, for human survival. Um, and, you know, it wasn't necessarily the act of eating always. It was the associated feelings of guilt and concern and worry that my mm. eating disorder, you know, would, would give me after I'd consumed the food. What prompted, um, by the way, if you've just tuned in, I'm talking to Genevieve Mora. Uh, about her eating disorder. She's the co-founder of Voices of Hope and she's written a book called Bite Back, A Compassionate Guide to Navigating Eating Disorders. We've got some um, resources to help support you if you have questions or need support in this area. Uh, they are on our website, rnz.co.nz. Um, Genevieve, do you remember what prompted your first hospital stay? Uh, so I remember going to my um, my clinic appointment. Um, it had been a couple of weeks since um, I'd been prior because it was the school holidays. It was between um, the two thousand. It was my year between my year nine and ten year at high school. Mm. Um, and I yeah I went to the to the um, specialist service and um, physically I obviously looked quite unwell. But um, as usual, they did my observations, which was my blood pressure, my temperature, all that, just to kind of check how I was going. Um, and it showed that I was what they deemed medically unstable. So I had really low. Um, uh, heartbeat um, as well as um, blood pressure um, and temperature and so that was um, I guess what what sparked that initial admission to hospital was um, the the concern around my physical um, and obviously mental well-being. You you during your stay you wrote in your journal um, about the battle between your healthy self and your eating disorder can you explain or describe for our listeners what that's like to, to know that you should eat but have that voice inside your head making you feel guilty for eating? It's incredibly complicated. Mm. Um, it's it's exhausting the way I kind of explain it. It's like having 100 radios on in your head at once and you're not sure which station mm. you should be listening to because they're all going at the same time. Mm. Um, there were definitely moments where my healthy self, which was the well Genevieve that knew she needed to nourish herself and 
and do certain things to be well, um, you know, was was somewhat um, uh, more powerful. But there were more times throughout that recovery process where that eating disorder voice just latched on and 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 was really sort of in charge. Um, so it was just constant conflict. It's like having you know an angel and a devil on on one shoulder, and you're not sure who to listen to, and they're both telling you completely different things. Mm. So yeah, it was a real struggle. Um, and I never, ever, ever could imagine a life free um, of those sort of thoughts and, and um, yeah, things going around my head because it was just 24-7. And you say that eating disorders aren't about food. Can you unpack that for us a bit? Yeah, so in, in my case, I guess, um, I think there's a common misconception, you know, when it comes to eating disorders that they are they are food disorders. I think, you know, um, obviously food is, is part of... Um, everyone's experience with an eating disorder but I think it's so much more than that and I think saying they're about food really minimizes I guess the um the experience of Mm. those that you know face them um it's it's so much more than that they manifest in so many different ways and a lot of it's around you know the thoughts and the feelings and 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 um you know different things that are associated with it so I just I just think when I say that sort of thing it's it's reminding people that so much more about food it's not as simple as what I talk about in one of my chapters in my case just eating if it was that simple there wouldn't be an issue in the first place Um, there's a lot of a lot of stuff underneath that makes it incredibly difficult to do that yeah just eat that's one of the most common sort of comments but but also one of the most unhelpful it most definitely is. I think, um, and, and in my book, I talk to multiple individuals um, that have that have had that said to them. Um, and, you know, people talked about the fact that it made them sound or made them feel really stupid and that they were, you know, that they were weak and that they were, you know, um, choosing uh, to not eat. And again, it's so much more complicated than that. And I think what people tend to forget as well when it comes to eating disorders is that anorexia and and or, and or restricting your food intake isn't the only way an eating disorder manifests. There's so many different disorders out there that all have different behaviours and thoughts and things associated to them. Um, so clumping them all together is actually incredibly dangerous and and unhelpful. And you write that quote, my illness made me self-absorbed to the point I was selfish and inconsiderate. Did it help yeah. Did it help for you to meet other kids uh, in hospital and in particular other kids with different medical problems? Yes, yes, it did. And um, there were a couple of individuals throughout my journey, um, Mackenzie and, and Eva, who I met while I was on the ward, who I talk about in my book as well. Um, Kenzie was a few years younger than me and Eva was two when I first met her. Um, and and talking to other individuals and, and meeting different families throughout my hospital stay, these two in particular, um, who weren't fighting a mental illness, but were, you know, um, fighting a chronic illness um, that there was never going to be a, a full recovery from, gave me the motivation not only to to fight for myself but fight for them too because I had an illness I could get better from so you know they taught me how precious you know the gift of life is and and how you know it's so important that I that I fight for myself um because I could well you end up spending quite a bit of time in hospital was there a sense in which you I don't know it might be the wrong words but that you enjoyed being there or that you yeah. You felt at home. Yeah, there? no, it's 
it's probably the right words. I felt very safe in hospital. Mm. So my first um, stay in there was 12 weeks and then I had a further six weeks and then two more stays that were a few weeks each. And I think um, hospital became a, a place that I felt really safe. I think, you know, to be completely transparent, I became quite institutionalized. The fear of um, living out of hospital was quite um, quite in, intense for me. You know, I, I became used to sort of the structure and the daily routine of being on the ward mm. um and I think when it came to my eating disorder you know um there was some I guess in some ways it made it somewhat easier to focus on recovery when I had less involvement in what was happening I was being told what I had to do which meant in my case there was less room for my eating disorder I guess to interfere um so yeah hospital became somewhere I probably felt too comfortable um but I also credit you know my time on the ward and in the psychiatric unit um you know for helping me get me to where I was today I needed to be there and, and there's not enough beds in a hospital to keep someone that mm-hmm. doesn't need to be there what finally helped you Oh, multiple things, um, a huge amount of things. I think time's a great healer, um, a lot of therapy, um, a lot of support from my dietitian. Um, medication was a choice that I took. And I think it's really um, important to acknowledge that medication isn't a miracle cure. You've still got to work blimmin' hard, yeah. um, but it was a tool I used on my journey. Um yeah, a lot, a lot of therapy, a lot of support from those around me, a lot of self-work. You know, I found it really important throughout my journey to to have goals and dreams and to have things to fight for. Um, because as Jazz says, you know, if you don't know what you're fighting for, it makes fighting a, a heck of a lot harder. Mm. You need to have you need to have a hope for your future. So it was a multitude of things. And I think also I I believed in myself deep down. I I I wanted to live. I wanted to be free. And so I held on to that in the moments where it felt really difficult to hold on. Um and and yeah, managed to get out the other side, which I still have moments of being like, wow, that's just incredible. Yeah. The goals thing is interesting. Um one of the people you're working with, Hillary, taught you a technique that involved focusing on those goals. Um, yes. When you had the urge to engage in a behaviour, you had to say to yourself out loud, is engaging in this behaviour getting me closer to my goals? Yeah, yeah, completely. And um, I, I talked to Hillary about this um, somewhat recently, and he said in one of the first appointments um, he met me, I talked about having goals, and he said, you know, hearing that gave him hope that I had – um, I guess determination and 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 mm. something to fight for, which was obviously going to make you know the, the therapy process even slightly easier. Um, but that was something that helped me hugely throughout my journey. You know, knowing that I wanted to travel someday, knowing that I wanted to have a family, knowing that I wanted to be able to go and socialize with my friends. And when I you know stood there and had the urge to I don't know open and close a drawer four times, asking myself, is doing this getting me closer to be able to travel mm-hmm. freely or hang out with my friends freely? Not every time, but sometimes it was enough for me to interrupt those behaviours. Um, so such a simple tool that that really did benefit me on my journey. Do you still have to work at it to keep on top of healthier habits? Yeah, so I, I am consider myself and, and have obviously been discharged from all services when it comes to my eating disorder. Um, anxiety is something I still, um, I still work on. Um, you know, I find myself 
I don't like flying um, and feeling a bit anxious mm. when I'm on airplanes. But the, the way I kind of look at it now is a lot of the kind of things that I that I deal with, you know, I still have bad body image days some days, but also that's quite human and quite normal. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, very well. I talk about myself as being free from the grips of my eating disorder, my OCD and anxiety, um, because it doesn't interfere with my life on a daily basis at all. Um, and had you told younger Jen that someday she'd be free from it, she probably wouldn't have believed you. But it's a really, um, a really incredible place to be to, to not just sort of survive, but to to live and to be grateful to be able to live a free life. You mentioned it could be really hard to get support, to get counselling, to get the sort of professional help that you need. And yeah. I don't, I don't think we'll solve this problem for anyone listening today. But is there anything no. that you can? tell people about what helps or what doesn't help um, when you've got a family member going through something like this? I think one of the sort of ground rules that we, and I, again, I talk about in my book is I think regardless of whether you're supporting someone with an eating disorder or just loving someone through life, you know, commenting mm. on appearance is never something helpful to do. Um, you never know what kind of internal battles people are facing. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to supporting someone, role modeling healthy behavior is really important. So being really aware of how you talk about your body um, and yourself. Um, and when it comes to role modeling, you know, um, showing, you know, that it's okay okay to to speak up if you're um if you're struggling or, or i guess fostering those conversations within your household where where your children or those that you are supporting feel able to speak up if they need to um so i think open dialogue is really really important um but yeah that's something i really struggle with i i consider myself lucky to have had the support i did and it really frustrates me that not everyone's going to have the same access to the the love and support that i did have um, and I think that's a big part of why I do the work I do now, because I want everyone to get to experience what life free from an eating disorder is like. And I believe everyone deserves to. Um, so I won't stop fighting until until there's more help available for people out there. Your mum had a nice saying, um, separate your child from the disease. Yes. <laughs> um, does that help when you're, when you're, yeah. you're working with someone? Completely. It definitely does. So my mum talks about that helping um, her because she knew that when she was being tough, she wasn't um, being nasty or mean to me. She was being tough because there was this, as she calls it, this evil beast that had kind of taken over her child. Yeah. So when she was, you know, telling me that I had to eat this or I wasn't allowed to leave the dinner table or that I had to sit down and do something, um, she was being tough because she wanted her Genevieve back. So seeing it for her, I guess, as a separate entity really helped her um, stay stay on top of it and, and, and fight it. And I think, you know, looking back now, knowing that she didn't think it was me being deceitful or me being secretive or manipulative did help too because um, I blamed myself a lot for the disruption it caused to my family anyway. So if there was constant dialogue around the fact that I was doing this as opposed to my eating disorder, um, it would have made it a lot more difficult, I think. You still have goals, still have dreams. Anything you'd like to share about your hopes for the yes. future? No, so I, um, I got married in, in February, which Woo! was 
a dream of mine for a long, long time, which was awesome. Um, I still dream of having kids um, sometimes. Um, I, some, not sometimes, sometimes yeah. soon, hopefully. Um, I am the general manager and co-founder of Voices of Hope, and, and I want to continue doing that for as long as I possibly can. And, and being a platform where people can share their lived experience, because I know how powerful it is to hear stories of people that have... Um, fought battles with their mind it's it's what I needed when I was unwell um and I want to continue advocating in the eating disorder space because there is so much more that needs to be done congratulations on the book congratulations for all that you've achieved and we're excited about what you do next thanks so much for your time today thank you Jesse always grateful